Hause. Pretty dramatic reading of verses 1 through 11 of Psalm 46. That's the, the psalm, the passage that we're going to be looking at together this morning. Almost sounded conflicting, didn't it? The, the text, the content of that psalm and the, the pictures of reality that we saw. And as um, Dave already said, we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning from a regular Sunday morning message. We're going to involve you quite a bit this morning. I don't know if you heard the word Selah at the end of those three stanzas. That word Selah, I'm going to go into a little bit later, a little bit more later. It's, it's a word that talks about really pondering what you just heard. And so we want to give you and us, all of us, an opportunity today to not just read God's word, listen to it, and, and hear a little bit of a context and a background to it, but to really, to really think about it together. And so what I would like to, to do is give you an opportunity right now to just look at, the, at all of those 11 verses. We're going to put them back up on the screen here in a second. And I'm going to ask our greeters to uh, make more paper and pens available. And if you don't have, have a paper and a pen already on you, if you would just raise your hand real quick and, and we, will, we will have um, those brought to you. Um, I hope they are ready for us. Could somebody check if Melody is, is ready um, with paper and pens? And then I would just like you to look at these 11 verses initially here and write down your, your immediate, honest response as you read those 11 verses again on the screen. What is your gut response to what this psalm is telling us about God and our relationship with him? So I want to give you a few minutes um, to do that. And then we will, we will look at the passages in a little more detail together. Why don't you just take a few minutes, please? Okay, I hope that gave you a little bit of time to just write down your first response to those, to those verses. You'll have more opportunity as we, as we go through this passage this morning. I just want to explain to you how, how we're going to do that this morning. There's three segments to this passage, um, chapters, uh, chapter of Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11. And after the first three verses, there's this word, Selah. I don't know if you know this, but Psalms were written as poems or songs. And this Psalm 46 is a song that was written. It actually is very specific. It was written for a soprano voice um, to be sung. And then after each stanza, there is this word, Selah. And there's, there's a few different meanings to that word. It can mean just a musical emphasis that, that, that it was supposed to get louder at that point. Could also just be a pause, a dramatic pause. But the word Selah also is a word that means to, to take a pause and think about. It literally means to weigh, to weigh what has just been said. A word that we often use in, in religious circles or that the Bible uses is to meditate. To meditate on what was just being said. And meditate, biblically, means the following. It means to dwell on, on, on its meaning until you see how it personally applies to your life. Sometimes we meditate. Well, what does meditate? Does it just mean I sit on the floor and I, I hum? Meditating means you look at the text and you think about it. You pray about it until you, you begin to understand how that text personally applies in your life. And that's what we want to do as we go through this passage whenever it says Selah. So here's what I would like to ask you for today. 
if you would. If you have a cell phone on you, would you just turn it off? Or silence it completely so that, that when we have those times of, of meditating and, and pondering and really trying to listen to God, that, that, that we're not interrupted. And also during those times, and those will be about three minutes at a time um, when, we, when we will come to those spots in the message today. If at all possible, unless your bladder is bursting or your kid's, your kid's tag number shows on the screen, that we would just stay in here during those times and, and not interrupt and, and run in and out, if at all possible. That would be, that would be awesome, just to, to give each other that space and quiet to really, to really quiet down and, and listen. So I'm excited to get into this passage with you. I got to tell you, I'm a little nervous. I haven't been up here in six weeks. Dave Nelson's kind of been monopolizing the pulpit, um, but he's the lead pastor, so he has every right, and it was a great series. Um, but I'm really excited to, uh, to get into God's Word with you this morning. So let me pray before we, we do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, for your love for us. Thank you, Father, that you still speak into our lives today. Thank you that we can look at your word and that we can, can ponder it, that we can weigh its significance and that we can ask you to explain it to it. And your word says that your Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. And I pray that that will be true this morning about Psalm 46. Lord, that you would speak into our hearts what you want to tell us about yourself and about our relationship with you. I just thank you, Lord, for your presence and just commit this morning into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's listen one more time to the first three verses of Psalm 46. God is our safe haven and strength ever-present help in times of trouble. We will not fear when the world falls apart and mountains fall into the sea. Let the oceans roar and rage and quake the mountains with their rush. Selah. Psalm 46, we don't really know for sure who wrote Psalm 46. Most Psalms were written by King David. This one isn't specifically designated by who wrote it. Um, could be David, could possibly be Hezekiah, who was also an Old Testament king. So both David and Hezekiah were, were Old Testament kings. Both faced similar challenges in their life. Both had significant personal cha challenges. Both had significant professional challenges in their life. And both had significant spiritual challenges in their life. Kind of like you and I. And so a lot of this psalm addresses those challenges and how, how God wants to, wants to help us deal with those The NIV version of these first three verses reads this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give, give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and strength. 
Is he really your refuge and strength? Of course, the right answer is yes, isn't it? Because we know that's what the Bible tells us and that's what we're supposed to say. Let me rephrase that. Are you experiencing God as your refuge and strength? Are you experiencing him as an ever-present help in trouble? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Anybody ever felt abandoned by God? So you've had moments where, where this wasn't experientially true for you, where you weren't in the midst of turmoil and thought, yes, he's my refuge and my strength. There's, there's moments when you've asked, where are you, God? There's moments when I've asked, God, where are you? Where are you in this? Again, we don't know if David wrote the song. We know he, he wrote lots of other psalms, and there are psalms where David wrestles with that, where he says, God, where, where are you in the midst of this? The wicked prosper, the, the righteous uh, suffer. What, where are you? What is going on? Where are you in my life? And he had, he had heavy challenges in his life where his life was being sought after, big challenges where he struggled with this. And interestingly enough, Jesus struggled with that at one point. On the cross, the hardest, worst moment of his life, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think if Jesus struggled with that, it's safe to assume and it's okay for you and I to struggle with the sense of God's presence at times. I was a little bit different with Jesus than it is with you and me. You know why Jesus struggled with that? You know why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he had. And you know why? You know why God the Father had forsaken his son at the most difficult moment of his life? Because a holy God can never be in the presence of of sin or disobedience or rebellion. And sin and disobedience and rebellion can never be in the presence of God. And at that moment on the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus became your and my sin, your and my rebellion, your and my disobedience towards God. Every act of it, yours, mine, and everyone else's, was placed on Jesus. And he literally became your and my rebellion, sin, and disobedience. God the Father could not be in the presence of that. Now, thankfully, Jesus overcame that. He paid you and my penalty so that we can again be reconciled to him. But you and I can make choices today in, in our daily life that God cannot be a part of. And it is my experience when I struggle with my experience of God's presence, him being my refuge and my strength and my help, that it's always because I have taken actions, I have made decisions that God cannot be a part of. And it's not that he doesn't want to be with me, it's that I have chosen not to be with him. See, a refuge and a help, they have something in common. A refuge and help has to be used. It has to be taken advantage of. A refuge has to be entered to become a refuge. Help has to be accepted 
to be of support. And I know I find myself, when I'm not experiencing God's presence in difficult times, starting to blame him, right? I mean, that's, that's the first place we go. We don't feel him. He says, well, God, that's your, where are you? Where are you? But here's the point. You can't, you can't blame a refuge for not protecting you if you don't go in, right? It's, it's not the refuge's problem. It's, it's my problem that I have not made the choice of entering into that refuge and allowing it to protect me. The beauty of that is that even though God cannot be present in the presence of sin, the beauty is that God in his mercy and grace always, 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 always invites us back in, always offers forgiveness, and always extends an invitation to, to enter back into his presence. And for him to be and become again your refuge and your strength, and protection, and your help. But we have to want it. We have to make the choice of accepting that, of entering into that. And then Philippians 4.13 becomes true in your life, that as Paul says, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. You know that wasn't written about football? <laughs> oh, it's, it's really cool to put that on your, on your cheek, and that's great. But it, it wasn't talking about throwing touchdowns and, and tackling people. It was talking about obeying God and what he has us to do. And if we are in him and with him and we follow and obey, then he will provide the strength to do what he asks us to do. And he will provide the protection and the refuge that we need in the midst of that. In Psalm 28, verse 7, the, the psalmist, psalmist writes this, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Very similar to this Psalm 46. He is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. See, that's the key. The key to him being our refuge. The key to him being you and my strength. The key to him being this ever-present help is you and my trust in him. If we put our trust in him, he will be that for us. But what, what does that look like? How do we put our trust in him? How do we make him our fortress and our refuge and, and our ever-present help? Let me just give you a short illustration of, of how that fleshed out for me just this last week in an incident. I had a, a situation that was, there was some personal conflict involved and it was just eating me alive. I was super anxious. I, I was worried about what, where this would lead and, and what the consequences would be. And we read here in verse 2, therefore we will not fear. And I was fearful. I was very anxious of, of how this would unravel and, and resolve itself. And, I, and my wife, she reads me like an open book. I mean, she just said, honey, honey, you just need to focus on Jesus. She says, you're not experiencing peace and joy and protection and, and a lack of fear. And so she helped me just refocus on Jesus and say, okay, you are my refuge. I need, I need to get, come to you. And we just turned on, she just turned on some worship music for me. 
to just refocus me and refocus me on, on who is God? Who is God and what does he say? Who does he say he is in me and for me? And it was hard. It was hard to, to, to put that aside because our tendency, my tendency is, no, I got to fix this. I got to fix this. And that's where my fear came from because I knew I can't fix this, but I want to. And so here's where the trust came in to just say, okay, God, I'm going to trust in who you say you are. I'm going to trust that you will have my back in this and that you will lead me through the situation. And God helped me and used my wife in, in, just, in just guiding me into that refuge, guiding me into that trust and deciding. That's why it says we will not fear. That's a decision. That's a decision to not look at the circumstances, but to look at and trust God who says, I am your refuge and I am your strength. He says, I'm an ever-present help. Literally, that ever-present help, that word means help is found in abundance. So not just is he always there to help. He says, I'm always present to help. But again, remember, help has to be accepted. But he's there. He says, Christian, I'm here to help. Just come and let me help. And my help is in abundance. It's not just let's, let's squeak by this one. Let's just barely make it through this. He says, I have help in abundance. He's the ever-present help in trouble. What's interesting out of that is sometimes we think as, as believers there shouldn't be any trouble. Everything should always be hunky-dory, but he's clearly saying, you will have trouble, but I'm going to be ever-present to help. There's going to be trouble, but I'm ever-present. Here's what I think he's telling us with these first three verses. I think what he's telling us is that in God's presence, in spite of life's turmoil, there can be safety and peace and strength and support in him. I want to give you a few minutes now to ponder, to selah, to ponder these three verses, to, to measure, to, to, to con contemplate the weight of what God is telling you in your heart this morning about him being your refuge and your strength. So we're going to dim the lights a little bit. We're going to put the verses back up and, and just take that pen and paper again. Listen. Listen to what God is telling you in your heart. And just, and just write down what, what comes to mind. There is a river whose waters bring joy to the city of God, the celebrated home of God Most High. God dwells in that city, and it will not be destroyed. From early dawn, God will help it. Nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms dissolve. God roars, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Those were verses 4 through 7 of Psalm 46. Let me read them again in, in the NIV version. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. 
the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I want to go into with you a little bit of the picture he's painting here of this, this river that, that um, brings gladness to the city of God, the place where, where God dwells. So he's referring to this refuge, this refuge and place of strength. You know, one thing that, that's in the nature, really, of a refuge as we know them in our context of life, a refuge is a place you go to when you're in trouble, right? Trouble comes, we run to the refuge, a shelter or what, whatever it might be. This is where it's very different um, how God wants to be our shelter, See, God doesn't just want to be an emergency shelter. God doesn't just want to be a refuge that we run to when we are in trouble. God's refuge is a place that he wants you and I to exist in, to live in, to live within. And I think that is what he's describing in these verses here, in verses 4 through 7. His refuge is where he wants us to take permanent residence, and it is his presence. He wants us to live and be safe in his presence. It's a little bit like us as parents when we go into places with our children that are crowded and potentially dangerous. What do we do with our kids, with our little ones? We don't say, well, go run. Come find me when you got trouble. What I say to Kobe is, Kobe, you stay right here with me. Okay? This, this could potentially be dangerous here, but I'm with you. Just stay here and everything is good. And interestingly, when, when Kobe is with us, it doesn't really matter what's going on around us. He knows his parents are going to do whatever is necessary to protect him and to be there for him. Now, one thing we have to keep in mind in all of this, that, that this is talking about spiritual things. It's talking about spiritual refuge. It's talking about his strength through his spirit in us. Scripture never, ever promises us physical safety and protection. All we need to look at is at the, the, the 12 disciples in, that, that followed Jesus and, and then carried on the baton after him. All but one of them were persecuted and killed for their faith. God never promises us physical safety. He's talking about spiritual things here. So let's look into this picture that, that he's giving us here. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Some, some people who commented on this and in, try and interpret this, think that the city of God is Jerusalem and that this is a physical place. I don't think so because Jerusalem doesn't have a river. That's just one of the, the, the issues with that. Rivers, what, what do we know about rivers? Rivers bring life into desolate places, don't they? I have a couple of pictures I want you to see of, of rivers. If we could put those up quickly, please. not a river that's a river look at that look at that lush life surrounding that river let's look at the next one i, I like that even better look at that isn't that beautiful see rivers always attract and bring life always doesn't matter where they are they attract life and vegetation animals Life congregates around rivers and water. Just think about the major cities of this country or the world. Almost all of them are built either on a river or another body of water, whether that's the ocean or a large lake. Even Salt Lake is on a dead lake. <laughs> all right? That's the exception. 
But most large cities, think of that, most large cities are built around water. Why? Because it brings life and it provides. And rivers are an, are an important theme throughout the Bible. We find rivers right in the very beginning at creation. Paradise, Eden is described as being between two rivers. And then if you go to the very end, Revelation 22, where God describes future paradise and eternity for those who follow him again he said there is a river running through it bringing gladness rivers in scripture are always a symbol for life and for joy when when god describes the land that he wants to give to the israelites in the old testament the promised land he describes it as a land that's flowing with honey and and milk again this picture of of water and of of provision abundant provision that's what rivers stand for throughout the bible And that's what I think it stands for here, that in God's presence, there is is abundant joy and life provided. And then the city of God, again, I'm, I'm convinced that it is figurative in this, that it's not talking about a literal city, then talks about it's the place where God dwells. And what does 1 Corinthians 3.16 tell us? It tells us that God now doesn't dwell in a temple, but that he dwells in you and I, that you and I are the temple of God, that he now lives. He takes up residence in you and in me. God present in your life and in my life, bringing life and joy in the midst of circumstances. That is what being in God's presence is like. Not just when we're in trouble, but living, existing in his presence and his presence in you and in me. Experiencing the life that he brings and the joy that he brings. Even and especially in difficult and turbulent circumstances. And then he brings up the topic of help again. He says, God will help her at the break of day. This break of day is an expression for he's going to help early. Break of day early in the morning. It's an expression that was used at the time for somebody who's going to come quickly. And what it says is he might not always be right there when you feel like you need it, but he's going to come quick in his timing. He's going to be there. He's going to be there for those who live in his presence. Psalm 30 describes it like this. Psalm 30, verse 5b, the end of verse 5. We have it up there already. Maybe you guys can bring it up quicker than I can find it. Psalm 30, verse 5, in the end, it says, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And the, the help comes at the break of day. God promises to be quick to help and support and guide and strengthen those who live in his presence. What this part of this this psalm is telling us that in God there is no defeat. It says God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is a fortress. See, what this is telling us in the midst of nations uproaring and falling, that when God speaks, 
the earth melts. When God speaks, he has authority. When God speaks, things happen. And that is the kind of God who is on your side and on my side. That's the God who is living in you and in me. That's the God who has ultimate and final authority, no matter what the circumstances are. You know how in middle school when you got bullied into a corner and you said, hey, no, no, wait, my, my second cousin's best friend knows karate and I'm sending him after you. You know what this is telling us is when life's circumstances back you into a corner, you can say, my best friend is the God of the universe and he stands with me and I don't have to fear you. That's what he's telling us. The God who makes the earth melt when he speaks is on your side and lives in you if you have accepted his son. I think what he's telling us here is that he invites us to live in his presence, to enjoy the life and the joy that he wants to provide, that he doesn't just want us to run to him when we're in trouble, but to live and exist in his presence. Selah. I want to give you another few minutes to, to ponder that, to ponder the weight of that. What does it mean to you that God is among us? Is he, is he personal to you? How is he with you during your everyday life? And how, how do you take him with you into those circumstances? And I want to encourage you during these minutes, maybe, maybe rewrite this part of the psalm in your own words and how it applies into your life. Just spend, spend some time meditating on that. Come and see the works of the Lord, the devastations he has wrought upon his adversaries. He ends wars throughout the world. He breaks the bow and smashes the spear and burns the shields with fire. by every nation. I will be praised throughout the world. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. us to our third passage. Let me read this passage one more time in, in the NIV version. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And he invites us to see who he is as God. 
his strength and his might and his power and talks about, invites us in to see the works of him. And then it describes those works as desolation he brought on the earth, wars he made cease to the ends of the earth, and the bow he breaks and the spear he shatters, where he brings striving and struggling and fighting to an end. In the version that was read in the video, it said he brought desolation on his adversaries, on his enemies. That's the context of what he's talking about. He says, look at who I am and look at what I do. I break the resistance of people struggling against me. That's what I do. And then he says, now be still and know that I am God. There's, there's two possible ways to, to look at this, be still, and what it, what it really means. One, op- one option is that in the context of him talking about bringing people who resist him uh, to stop resisting him, that it's in the context of s- that the be still literally means stop struggling against me. Stop fighting me and accept who I am, the almighty God. Basically saying, it's, it's pointless to, to fight against me. Just quit struggling and accept that I am who I am. Quit fighting me. The best picture that, that I have in, in my mind of, of that kind of fighting, struggling against God and what's actually good for us is, and I think I've shared this story before. When I was five, I was in the hospital. I had an accident. I, I fell into a piece of metal and cut my right eye and had to be rushed to the hospital and had emergency surgery. And they, they saved my eye. I had actually a couple of surgeries. But I remember the first morning waking up out of that surgery. So a little five-year-old, I don't know what's been going on. I just know something was up with my eye. My parents had taken me to the doctor. And, and here I wake up, I open my eyes and don't see anything. Nothing. And I try to touch, and I can't because my hands are tied to the bed. And I'm struggling to, 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 I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, I'm blind. What happened to me? And where am I? And what's going on? And I'm struggling, and I feel a hand on my chest. And I'm just struggling to say, what is going on here? And, and, and then the person took me in, in her arms. And I was still struggling. I said, what's going on? I wanted to rip whatever. I didn't know what was going on. And I was just struggling. And I heard my mom say, just stop, Christian. Just stop. And hearing her voice and, and her embrace, just realized, okay, I can stop struggling. I just knew. I, I don't have to struggle here right now. I am safe. I don't need to fight against whatever is going on right here. If my mother's here, it's got to be okay. Have you had this kind of experience maybe with a toddler, out of control, just, what? And you're just, okay, just stop. Just, I'm here. I'm here, and I know what's good for you. And, and eventually they can just relax and, and enjoy that presence and that comfort and surrender, in a sense. That's the best picture that I can come up with of, of that interpretation of be still, where God says, I know what's good for you. You've been struggling on your own, trying to make this work, and you can't stop struggling against me. And just accept who I am and allow me to be who I am for you. The second possibility is the sense of just chill out. (laughs) 
just calm down. All right, you're trying to follow me and you're doing the best you can, but you're doing this in your own strength and you're struggling and you're running and, and you're out of breath and there's no time and place for me in your life. Would you just chill? Just calm down? And the, the, the picture that I have in my mind is, is actually of me and my calendar and my calendar being like a pack of wolves chasing me from the moment I get up to the moment I lay down and I'm running from one place to another and from one obligation to another. And, and I'm sure you guys can identify with that. All the things demanding time of you, your work and your spouse and your children and the honeydew list and other friends and, and, and whatever else there is that has demands on you. And God's saying, where am I in this? Would you, just, would you just chill, calm down, and enjoy who I am? There's no space in your life for being in my presence and enjoying who I am and who I want to be for you and what I want to provide for you. Chill out. And quiet down your life so that you can actually hear me. See, God, God doesn't want to overpower all those noises in our life. He wants us to come to a place where we actually want to hear from him and want to be with him and just kind of shove everything else to the side. And I took one baby step in that direction two weeks ago. My mother called me frantically. But a week ago, she says, are you alive, Christian? Nobody hears anything from you. We need a sign of life from you. Because I deactivated my Facebook account. <laughs> I, yes, I silenced one of those noises in my life. I don't know how long it's going to last. But you know what? I haven't even missed it for a second But it was just one thing that was constantly there. And so I'm just trying to find these baby steps. What can I, what, what noise can I eliminate? What step can I take to get to that point where I can just be still and be content being still? Can we even do that yet? Can we shut down one of our cell phones, maybe the work cell phone? And, 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 and can, we, can we eliminate unnecessary noises so that we actually put ourselves in a place where God can speak to us. There's a great story about the prophet Elijah. It's in 1 Kings, I want to say chapter 19. It's somewhere in my notes, but I've abandoned my notes long ago. There's a, a story about prophet Elijah who had just won a major victory against some, some prophets of another God. And, and right afterwards, he, so he has this great experience with God and falls into great depression because now everyone's after him. And he fears for his life. And he says, God, where are you? Who just miraculously gave him a gigantic victory. Well, God, where are you? And God says, okay, get ready. I'm going to come by here. You're going to experience my presence. And all of a sudden, it's in 1 Kings 19, this great wind comes up that actually splits the rock on the mountain he's on. And it says, and God was not in the wind. Next came an earthquake that made the earth tremble. What a great, powerful manifestation. But it says, God was not in the earthquake. Then a fire came out, a powerful force. And it says, God was not in the fire. And then a gentle whisper came. And God was in the gentle whisper. See, God is that gentle whisper that we have to make time 
and a place and a space to listen to so that we can know that he is God, that he is the great I am, that he is the one who created and holds everything in his hand. And he wants to spend time with you in that quiet place. That's the God we serve. God invites you into his presence to rest and be restored as a refuge, as a shelter, as a place of strength. Whether you find yourself right now struggling against him, fighting him, or whether you find yourself struggling without him, you're just out there on your own fighting, or if you find yourself struggling for him and you're running out of gas, he wants you to come and rest in his presence. There's another psalm, Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, that I want to read to you in this, in this context. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. My soul finds rest in God alone, My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress, and I will never be shaken. He bookends this this passage, verses 1 through 11, with this this, um, exclamation that God is our fortress. Have you ever seen a real fortress? A real fortress, like a European-German fortress. Have you ever seen, have, who's been to Europe and has seen those castles and fortresses above those rivers? You've you got to say, that's impressive. you got to, come on, that's impressive. Let me show you a picture of a fortress. And I've actually been to this one. This is Burg Elz. Now imagine, imagine you in medieval times, and you're outside of that fortress, they're on the right side at the foot of that wall. And the mighty French army is coming to fight you. Okay, that's really unrealistic. (laughs) A mighty French army. Um, All right, we'll take the Brits. Okay, they took a boat, swam over. Sorry, honey, my wife is French. I get away with this. But you find yourself outside of those walls and an attack is coming. How do you feel? How do you feel? Come on, speak up. Fear, vulnerable, exposed. Okay, now imagine, I don't have a laser pointer, but you're up there in that, in that top tower looking out that window and you see the mighty French army come up. How do you feel up there? Safe, confident, secure. See, that's the picture God is giving us. And he wants us to live in there. He wants us to live in there in his presence. That's the picture he's giving us. When I see that, I see protection. I see strength. And I've got confidence in those walls. But you see, here's what you and I do. Rather than putting our trust in God to be our help, to be our fortress, our refuge, our strength, our joy, you and I, we build our own fortress. We build our own fortress. My fortress is facades 
At times it is anger. At other times it's humor. At other times it's my work. Other times it's relationships. I don't know what you've used to build your fortress. But let me just tell you, it's not that. It is not that, and it will not protect you. God will. See, he wants to set you and me free from our own fortress that instills nothing but fear. And he says, quit struggling against me. Look at who I am. Look at who I am and what I want to be for you. Whether you're struggling against me or without me or for me, come here. Come and rest and let me be your strength and your protection and your joy and your peace. Rest in me. Selah. What I would like you to do now is as we dim the lights, put down pen and paper, put down everything, put down your cup of coffee, and let's just be still. Let's just be still. That was probably the longest any of us have been really still for a long time unless we were sleeping. And even then we make a lot of noise. We're going to move into a uh, short video about Mike Rutledge and um, a song that he's written about this Psalm 46 and why he wrote it and, and what God did in his, in his heart. And then after the video, Mike's going to come out and sing the song that he wrote about Psalm 46 for us. chance to head off to Basalt, Colorado, which is just outside of Aspen in this little sleepy town. Um, and uh, just, I wanted to get away, be alone, decompress, go fly fish, just, just kind of let life happen and uh, head out to this cabin where I'd be all by myself, which I, I really love being alone. And uh, the fly fishing was, was Amazing! I met uh, I met, with, met up with a guide who took me out on the water, showed me some great places to fish, caught some killer trout, um, some browns and some rainbows and some cutthroat. It was caught brook. It was uh, everything was great. It was exactly what I was hoping it would be on my way out there. So I got in the cabin and uh, had my alone time and realized all of a sudden, just in a, in a really odd way for me, I was uh, struggling with being alone. I, I if, uh, Something inside of me was fighting against just sitting around and doing nothing and being by myself. And uh, so I began to think of things I could do. Again, I'd have to drive down 15 minutes to get any phone coverage. So uh, I, I started kind of coming up with reasons to head back into the city, and which really didn't have much there. I needed a pack of gum or I needed whatever. And I'd, I'd drive the 15 minutes so I could get on my cell phone and call my wife or a friend or whatever and just just have some conversation and uh 
helpful, you know, and, and then I'd drive back up and I'd, I'd get back in the, in the cabin, I'd be by myself again, I'd start trying to create other reasons that I needed to get out of the cabin and be um, doing something, or maybe I need to eat or go to a, find a plate, go buy some groceries or whatever it was. And uh, what I realized is that I was actually trying not to be alone, which again, it was very bizarre to me because it's exactly the reason I wanted to get away. So I began to enter into a wrestle with God who was saying to me, just chill out, be still, relax. And I wanted to fill all my moments with busyness so that I wouldn't realize my aloneness. Uh, I came across this Psalm, Psalm 46, where it says, be still and know that I'm God. And uh, it, it sort of hit me that my struggle, that I, what I was struggling with was actually being still. I was having a hard time slowing down my pace of life to the point where I could just be okay with not having anything to fill my time. What I realized is that I was trying to fill my days, my moments, being alone with stuff that would keep me busy and, and not uh, realizing that um, I think what God was really trying to tell me was just chill out. You need to relax. You just need to be alone. So